MSW Media. Thanks to Dipsy for supporting the Daily Beans. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories. If you're looking to light a spark or heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Today, Donald finally files suit to demand a special master in the Mar-a-Lago search warrant case. The judge in the Lindsey Graham subpoena battle sets a very expedited briefing schedule. Files copied from voter systems were shared with election deniers. And the Gang of Eight wants to review what was taken from Donald's boxes. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Uh, It's AG. If you hear a weird echo, it's because I'm in my hotel room in Los Angeles getting ready to go to Largo to have an awesome show with the Midas Touch and Frangela, How We Win, Kathy Griffin. It's too late to get your tickets because we already had the show, but we will be releasing a podcast version of this show on all of our feeds for you to enjoy at a later date. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, We do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Gerstein and Cheney at Politico and brought to you by the docket filing. Former President Donald Trump made his first foray into the legal fight over the FBI search of his Mar-a-Lago estate, seeking an appointment of a special master to screen seized materials for potential privileged information. This is an Alice in Wonderland filing, as Ryan Goodman calls it. It's absolutely bizarre and bonkers, and it makes weird claims. Anyway, an illegal filing In federal court in Florida, attorneys for Trump asked the court to appoint a third party to sift through the records FBI seized two weeks ago. These records have probably already been sifted through. As you know, part of the investigation into unlawful record retention of classified information, misappropriation of presidential federal records, and potential obstruction of justice, espionage, too. Quote, this matter has captured the attention of the American public, the motion says. Merely adequate safeguards are not acceptable when the matter at hand involves not only the constitutional rights of President Trump, but also the preservation of executive privilege. He doesn't get to decide what's executive privilege. Supreme Court has already went along with what Biden said. This is just ridiculous. In the submission, styled as a motion for judicial oversight and additional relief, Trump's lawyers also ask investigators be blocked from further review of the seized materials until a third party review is put in place. Now, this case has been signed to Trump appointee Judge Aileen Cannon, confirmed by the Senate about a week after Trump's defeat in 2020. It's unclear whether Cannon will be the first to rule on Trump's requests or whether that the magistrate judge who granted the warrant, Bruce Reinhart, would be. A Reinhardt decision would, in any event, be subject to appeal to a district court judge such as Cannon. But I'm pretty sure the DOJ will file to consolidate these cases and have Reinhardt decide. Now, uh, Trump's attorneys said they were informed by a prosecutor that a Justice Department filter team is reviewing the seized records to cull out any privileged materials. But the Trump lawyers contend that safeguard is not enough. The 27-page filing is replete with Trump's typical political bombast, including boasts about the power of the former president's 2022 campaign endorsements, 
But it also confirmed aspects of the timeline related to the Mar-a-Lago search. It it confirmed a lot of this, including the fact that the Justice Department issued two subpoenas prior to the search, one for documents and another for security camera footage. So they're confirming that. The filing also describes repeated contacts between the Justice Department counterintelligence chief, Jay Bratt, and Trump's legal team over the course of several months, including a phone call from the former to the latter at 9.10 a.m. on August 8th to inform them a group of FBI agents was not Mar-a-Lago executing a search warrant. The search filing says it lasted approximately nine hours, that search. Trump sought to portray his involvement with the Justice Department as cordial until the moment of the search, but didn't explain how boxes and material designated as highly classified remained at Mar-a-Lago after protracted discussions with investigators. Three of Trump's attorneys signed the legal filing, Lindsay Halligan, who's based in Florida, as well as D.C.-based attorneys Jim Trusty and Evan Corcoran. Couple things, right out of the gate, the lawyers here screwed up and they filed that Donald was representing himself pro se, or it, this was filed pro se, meaning he was representing himself. But the filing is through his lawyers and by his lawyers. So this is probably a docket entry error. Either that or they don't want to be officially associated with all the lies in this filing. Second, they open the filing saying that this shouldn't be political, but then talk about how politically popular Donald is. They're absolute idiots. They also insinuate we are all very distressed about the raid on Donald's home. Raid in quotes. I think I speak for all of us when I can assure the court, Your Honor, we are not distressed. In fact, 57% of Americans think he should still be on this investigation should continue. Also, Donald's lawyers basically confessed to espionage in the filing by saying that responsive documents were provided to the FBI. Honestly, Donald probably would have been better off not filing anything. I really look forward to the Department of Justice's response on this, and I do expect them to try to consolidate this case. Although, if it goes back down to the magistrate judge, Reinhardt, it could be sent up back again to Cannon. It's all sort of random. And remember how I said I was certain the district court judge in the Lindsey Graham-Fulton County DA subpoena case would issue a pretty fast briefing schedule? Well, 9 a.m. Monday morning, only a few hours after the 11th Circus decision remanding the case back down to the district court, the judge issued one of the fastest briefing schedules I've ever seen. Lindsay has 48 hours to file his brief. Then the DOJ has 48 business hours till Monday. And then Lindsay has another 48 hours until Wednesday to file his final reply, wrapping everything up in nine days, August 31st. Andrew and I break this down in depth on tomorrow's cleanup on aisle 45 pod. So check that out. It's free podcast wherever you get them. And remember the story about Sidney Powell and a company breaking into voting systems and stealing data in several states? Well, there's an update from the Washington Post. Sensitive election system files obtained by attorneys working to overturn Trump's loss were shared with election deniers, conspiracy theorists, and right-wing commentators. And that's according to records reviewed by the Post. A Georgia computer forensics firm hired by the attorneys placed the files on a server where company records show they were downloaded dozens of times. Among the downloaders were accounts associated with Texas meteorologist who has appeared on Sean Hannity's radio show, a podcaster who suggested political enemies should be executed, a former pro surfer who pushed disproved theories that the 2020 election was manipulated, and self-described former seduction and pickup coach claims to also have been a hacker. Plaintiffs in a long-running federal lawsuit over the security of Georgia's voting systems obtained the new records from the company, Atlanta-based Sullivan Strickler. You remember this company we talked about. And they did this under subpoena to one of its executives. 
The records include contracts between the firm and Trump allied attorneys, Sidney Powell, notably as one of them. The data files are described as copies of components from election systems in Coffee County, Georgia and Antrim County, Michigan. A series of data leaks and alleged breaches of local election offices since 2020 has prompted criminal investigations and fueled concerns among security experts that public disclosure of information collected from voting systems could be exploited by hackers and other people seeking to manipulate future elections. Access to U.S. voting system software and other components is tightly regulated, and the government classifies those systems as critical infrastructure. The new batch of records shows for the first time how the files copied from election systems were distributed to people in multiple states. Marilyn Marks, executive director of the Nonprofit Coalition for Good Governance, which is one of the plaintiffs in the Georgia lawsuit, said the records appear to show that these files were handled recklessly. Quote, the implications go far beyond Coffee County, Georgia. In a statement to the Post, Sullivan Strickler said the attorneys who hired the firm directed them to contact county officials to obtain access to certain data from Dominion voting machines in Georgia and Michigan. Quote, likewise, the firm was directed by attorneys to distribute that data to certain individuals. The firm said it had and has no reason to believe, as officers of the court, these attorneys would ask or direct Sullivan Strickler to do anything improper or illegal. The Post reported August 15th, we know, that the earlier set of records was released in response to the subpoena, and it showed Sullivan Strickler was hired in late November to conduct multi-state efforts to copy software and other data from these election systems. And uh, it was more successful than previously known. That same day, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, GBI, opened a computer trespass investigation regarding an election server in Coffee County. That's according to Bureau spokeswoman Nellie Miles. Under Georgia law, knowingly using a computer or network without authority and with the intention of deleting, altering, or interfering with programs or data is computer trespass. It's a felony. The new documents were disclosed after plaintiffs asked the forensics firm who had accessed the Georgia elections data that the firm had collected, according to two people familiar who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The plaintiffs also received copies of the raw election systems data collected by Sullivan Strickler in Georgia. But those were not among the records reviewed by the Post. The new records also inadvertently detailed the sharing of data the firm collected during a separate forensic exam in Antrim County, where a judge in December 2020 had granted access to election systems in response to a lawsuit challenging the results. That lawsuit was eventually dismissed. In the records turned over to Georgia plaintiffs, some pages and portions of others were redacted. However, the text beneath some of the blacked out blocks became visible when a Washington Post reporter copied and pasted it into a separate file showing downloads of files labeled Antrim. In Georgia, Gabriel Sterling, the interim chief of staff in the Secretary of State's office, told the Post in a statement that wrongdoers would be prosecuted. The secretary is a defendant in litigation that uncovered the new records. Miles, the GBI spokeswoman, said in emails that Raffensperger's office on August 2nd had asked the agency to join efforts to examine the Coffee County breach. Quote, any attempts to illegally access election systems in Georgia will not be tolerated. Whether it's rogue election officials, conspiracy theorists, attorneys, or security consultants working for those conspiracy theorists. And that's Gabriel Sterling. The records show 10 people downloaded data collected from Georgia or Michigan between December 2020 and February 2021. They also show in more detail the role of Sidney Powell. That's the attorney who pushed false claims about the voting machines in a flurry of swing state lawsuits for Trump, as well as the role of Jesse Banal, an outside counsel to the Trump campaign. Powell and Banal signed engagement agreements authorizing Sullivan Strickler to carry out these computer forensic collections. A 16-page agreement signed by Banal in November of 2020 
stated it covered data collection in Nevada, where Banal had won a court order granting limited access to the equipment, and in Georgia. The agreement said Banal would pay Sullivan Strickland $19,500 per day for a team of three people to do this work in Nevada and listed potential fees. Powell did not respond to requests for comment, and the newly released records do not show Banal in discussions about Coffee County. And the latest folks to want information on what was in the seized boxes from Mar-a-Lago is the Gang of Eight. This is a group of congressional leaders charged with reviewing the most sensitive intelligence information. They've asked Biden administration for access to these documents. They want to see the damage. The inquiry from the so-called Gang of Eight comes as lawmakers from both parties seek to learn more about this uh, search warrant uh, released upon the former president. It suggests Congress is unwilling to be a bystander in the political and legal fallout following the FBI's August 8th search of the estate in Mar-a-Lago. It follows a similar request from the Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Mark Warner and Vice Chair Marco Rubio, who asked the nation's top intelligence officials to drop an assessment of possible national security risks. The Gang of Eight includes the top two congressional leaders, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, as well as the top Democrat and Republican on the House and Senate Intel Committees. A spokesperson for the Senate Intelligence Committee declined to comment. A representative for the officer or the director of national intelligence also declined to comment. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for the Gang of Eight indicated that a specific request hadn't been signed onto by all eight lawmakers, but acknowledged that congressional oversight is ongoing. Privately, Capitol Hill aides have expressed frustration about the fact that Congress has learned little about the investigation of the former president. They're mad. The executive branch has historically resisted congressional inquiries about ongoing law enforcement actions, arguing it could compromise the investigation. It is possible that the public could learn more about the probe in the coming days because, as we talked about, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhart signed off on the Mar-a-Lago search warrant, has told the Justice Department to propose redactions, and he will get those in two days, to the FBI's affidavit. But he also said, I might not grant it. A group of media organizations filed a motion, as we know, to unseal the affidavit, citing substantial public interest. But Reinhardt indicated today that there are other mitigating factors here that he has to consider. Given the intense public and historical interest in in an unprecedented search of former president's residence, the government has not yet shown that these administrative concerns are sufficient to justify sealing. But the factors he came out with today favor heavily keeping it sealed. So he'll he'll look at the redactions if there's too many of them for it to make sense or if he thinks the DOJ is going to make arguments about why that shouldn't be released. Uh, and we'll see whether he releases any of it, none of it, some of it. We'll find out. All right. We will be right back with the good news, everybody. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. What is your summer fantasy? A whirlwind romance? Maybe in Italy? On a scooter? Ciao? Dancing with a tall stranger in a warm rainstorm? Maybe unexpected summer fling with your hot neighbor? Mm-hmm. No matter how you want to get steamy this season, Dipsy has a sexy story for you to indulge in. It's so much it's, it's just it's so much awesome in one app. It's an app full of hundreds of short sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring exciting scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters no matter who or what you're into. You will find stories about intriguing coworkers with British accents hooking up with hot yoga instructors. So many just cool little stories. You're going to absolutely love it. And uh, Dipsy releases new content every week, meaning they give you the opportunity to find your favorite fantasies in the same place you look for new ones. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and other written stories too. I highly recommend you check it out today. 
And for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial so you can try it out for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. That's 30 days of full access for free. When you go to Dipsy Stories, that's D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash dailybeans. Dipsystories.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, what the mutt, anything you want to play, photos, I love looking at your photos, anything at all, send it to that spousal shout out thing, shout out your friends, your kids, your parents, anything you want to send. Just go to dailybeanspod.com, click on contact and you're all set. First up from Sherry, pronouns she and her. My good news, 18 years ago, my daughter was born with a medical condition that made it unlikely she would survive. She suffered a heart attack, stroke, liver damage, brain injury, all during delivery. They asked us if they should resuscitate her if she died again. Against all odds, she survived. While she turned 18 this Wednesday, she's starting her senior year of high school today. So many people have come together to make her life wonderful, and I'm grateful to every single one of them every day. I want to thank you for promoting taking care of our mental health. Months living in a NICU will give you PTSD. And your encouragement helped me to seek therapy. All hail EMDR. Yes, yes, Sherry, that is my favorite. It's done so many wonderful things for me. That's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Truly incredible. And look at this senior photo. How beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Congratulations and happy birthday and happy graduation. Happy birthday. Did I I read a birthday? Yes, she turned 18 on Wednesday. Okay. Oh, that's such good news. Next up from Tim. Tim, pronouns he and him. Hi, ladies of the Legumosphere. I'm addicted to AG's hello in the morning. Better than a hot cup of coffee to get me started in the morning. Here's a submission from the Dolly Beans. (laughs) I get it. It's a famous picture from Salvador Dolly that is a great example of picture within picture perspective, the hidden meaning. At one perspective, magnification to you and me, it's a picture of Gala, Dolly's mistress, looking out to sea. But if you zoom in, it becomes a picture of Abraham Lincoln's face. This is on the wall at the Dolly Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida, right next to Pasagree. Both A.G. and Dana and Amy would love the museum, which you could visit if you do a meet and greet in town. The small harbor area is reminiscent of La Jolla to many ex-Californians living here in Florida. Oh, Tim, I might just come. I love this painting so much. Thank you for sharing. And I like how it's got the two little tiles of the painting down, down below. Wonderful. Thank you, St. Pete. Yeah, I need to go to St. Pete. I think I might have a trip maybe planned there next year. All right, next up from Trudy, pronouns she and her. Greetings, Leguminatis. My husband introduced me to your show a year and a half ago, and we never miss a day. My good news, we just celebrated our first year of retirement in Southwest France. Oh, it has been a huge move for us, a giant leap into the unknown. After 30 years in the Coast Guard and 16 more years as an industrial electrician, My fabulous and amazing husband, Bob, deserves a fun and adventurous retirement. And so far, I think he's found that here. We live in a small cobblestone village surrounded by vineyards. This sounds like the Shire and vast fields of sunflowers. French language study is part of our daily routine and our neighbors are patient with our stumbling attempts to communicate. Normally on Bob's birthday, August 24th, 
we patched together a New England lobster fest at our house, inviting friends and family over for steamed lobster, way too much corn on the cob, coleslaw, and cake. This year will be different, but good different, French different. I plan to drag him out to a local kebab restaurant for a favorite meal and then take him on a castle tour. We'll be missing all our peeps in the U.S., though, and I'm hoping you can give Bob a birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Bob. It would make a real gotcha birthday surprise for my special guy. For pet tax, I'm including photos of our 19-year-old Manx cat. 19. Woo, Willow. We sweated every minute of making our big move with him, worried that his advanced age and the stressful travel would take a toll on him. Boy, were we wrong. He survived the trip handily and adjusted to French life with ease. I feel like cats sort of belong in France. I mean, that just they, that's just kind of how it goes. Anyway, there are plenty of generous sunny spots here. Soft beds, the cat food, duck, rabbit, kidney, goose liver, beef, and chicken pate has morphed him into quite the feline gourmand. I wrote a story, How to Move to France with Your Cat, which you can read here at, uh, here's the link we'll have in the show notes, How to Move to France with Your Cat at Pet Life. Thank you, AG and Dana, for keeping us informed, making us my own foul-mouthed musings feel normal, and keeping us laughing in spite of the daily darkness. That is news from home. Sending love from France. Look at this Manx baby. Oh, what a goober. Ah, <laughs> that's a great face he's making at the end. Thank you so much for this. Oh, how wonderful. That just sounds so beautiful, Trudy. Now I have to go to France. Now I have to do a show in France. Okay, I'll talk Dana into it. Next up from Eric, pronouns he and him. Hi, AGDG at all. As always, thank you so much for bringing sense, reason, and laughter to the news. Listening to you tell us bad news for so long made it so much easier to process, but it has been a true joy to listen to you delivering actual good news from the news cycle. For image tax, I've been comparing Crayon and Midjourney, another AI art generator. And I have to say, I think Midjourney really captures the essence of Bannon in an orange prison jumpsuit in a cartoon style. Midjourney is the first one. Thanks again. They both look pretty great. But yeah, Midjourney really, really captures it very well. All right, up next from Anonymous Pronouns, she, her. I am a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. Me too, Anonymous. And did a lot of canvassing for her during the 2020 presidential primaries. Me too. When she withdrew from the race, she asked her supporters to get more involved in local government. I had no idea how I would do that, but I vowed to her that I would somehow get involved in local government. Well, the universe gave me my very clear stage directions over the subsequent 18 months. And I'm exhilarated to report I was appointed to a citizen advisory commission to city council. The amount that I've learned about how local government functions has been tremendous. I've been shocked by the degree of abuse and power and the shenanigans that go on, but I'm loving standing up to the BS and calling it out. My whole life, I have felt like I've paid a price for my tendency not to back down from confrontation. It is now very rewarding that this tendency of mine is making a big impact for positive change. I've received a lot of positive feedback from people who have long been there and the blowback that can come from fighting righteous fights. And all I can say from firsthand experience that whatever people take, whenever people take the time to write their representatives and make their voices heard, it really matters. Yes, I'm telling you, you got to write to them. Write them letters. Thank you all so much for the Daily Beans. It gets me up and going in the morning, helps me keep on keeping on. I have attached a combination pet tax Halloween costume photograph of my mutt Daphne who falls asleep when she's bathed and loves being dressed up. Look at this baby. Oh my God, this is so great. <laughs> That's fantastic. I can't, I can't really, I can't really describe this. You just, you have to see it. Um, 
So it, it this costume is absolutely amazing. So much bling, pearls, bikini, little cuffs and bracelets. And this puppy is so cute. So cute. And speaking of fashion, any day now, be on the lookout for a new t-shirt available at dailybeanspod.com. And part of the proceeds are going to go to the How We Win Fund. So helping elect Democrats. I hope you enjoy it, everybody. I have to sign off. I have to head to the theater. I have to head to Largo right now. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and don't break your face. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>